How are we doing tonight? Doing all right? You guys seem a little bit tired. It's okay. It's March. Our reading uh, for the for the word tonight. Tonight we're talking about why evil. So we're continuing in our apologetic series. And this week we're talking about if God is good or how can God be good when there's the presence of evil and suffering in the world. So we're reading from Luke chapter 13 and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. I'd encourage you to follow along with the black books under your seats and it is on page 848. So hear the word of the Lord. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. This is the word of the Lord. For how many of you, when you started college, you had the feeling and the expectation that life was going to be great. You were independent, you get to live on campus, you're young and you're agile, you're full of life and eagerness and excitement about this journey that you're beginning, college. You're gonna make fast friends that are gonna last for your whole life, and who knows, you might even find someone to marry while you're at school. And you're going to figure out exactly what you want to major in, and it's going to prepare you just right for post-college life. And it's, just, it's going to be great. But then the weeks and the months start to go by, and you find that you haven't been able to make a lasting or meaningful connection with the people on your floor, or maybe people in your dorm. You find yourself spending a lot more of your time alone than you would have anticipated or liked. And you find yourself lonely at Kelvin. Or you're a few years into college now, and the person that you had your eye on or the person that you were dating, well, things have come apart. And you find yourself a little bit adrift when you don't quite know what to major in and time is ticking by. And then you get a call from home. Mom isn't doing well. Dad has to have treatment. Or the very worst, someone in your family has died. And this news interrupts your life so that your life is forever divided into before and after. Why do things unravel as quickly as they do? Why do bad things happen? Why do terrible things happen to us? And where is God when all this stuff goes down? Why doesn't God stop it? Why is there evil in the world? And why does God let it touch our lives? Why does God allow for this kind of suffering? In our text today, Jesus speaks to the people gathered around him who were also wondering a similar question. They were wondering, did those Galileans who Pilate killed, 
Were they somehow worse off? Were they worse sinners that they deserved that? Did they have that coming? Was there some kind of sin in their life that merited them suffering like that and then dying like that? And the people that the tower fell on, was that their own fault? Were they worse than anyone else? You see, these Galileans that the people around Jesus are talking about, the people gathered around Jesus would have known what kind of, who they were. So they were uh, zealots, Galileans who, were, uh, who would stir up trouble and then invoke the wrath of Pilate who would squash it. And so these Galileans who were zealots were probably very passionate that the chosen people of God should not be subject to a pagan empire. And the people gathered around Jesus probably would have agreed with that, but they probably would not have agreed with the way that the Galileans went about demonstrating that feeling. Because then Pilate would crack down on all of them. The people gathered around Jesus would have known how these zealots upset the order. They created turbulence. And they knew that as a people, they were under Pilate's thumb, and Pilate was under Rome's thumb. So whenever these zealots upset the order, Pilate would crack the whip, and he would do whatever was necessary to restore order, even with cruelty, even with execution. Jesus knew these things that the people around him were wondering. They were wondering, these Galileans were troublemakers. Did they get what was coming to them? They wondered if they hadn't brought down that suffering upon themselves. And Jesus can hear underneath their words that wondering, that hint of accusation, the thought that maybe those people deserved it. So Jesus addresses them. He answers the question they haven't asked. Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they're worse sinners than all other Galileans? And again, do you think that those whom the tower in Siloam fell on, that they were worse offenders somehow? How many of you guys watched the show This Is Us on NBC? Oh, really? Okay, like get on that. It's a fantastic show. (laughs) It's on NBC Tuesday nights, 9 o'clock. Anyway, this show is like this breakout this fall. It's a wonderful show. And in the show, there's a character named William. And William, he's an elderly African-American man. And we learn as the first episode and then as the show goes on, that 36 years earlier, he had left his newborn son at the door of a fire station after his son's mother had died giving birth to him. And he left him at the fire station because he wasn't in a place to be able to care for an infant. And now, 36 years later, his son comes knocking at his door, and he's a grown man. And his son is accomplished, and he's successful. And he was raised in a loving, adoptive family, and he has a loving family of his own now. But he always wondered who was his biological father, what his birth mom was like. So as the show progresses, William and his son cultivate this father-son relationship. 36 years later than probably either of them would have liked, but it's really remarkable nonetheless. And do you know, as you, the viewer, come to love William and come to love his son, William then tells his son that he actually has late-stage cancer and that he doesn't have very much time left. As they get to know each other, there's this deep beauty in their reunion, but also a sense of something tragic. And that when they finally, when they finally get to know each other, they only get to have a few months. Now for me as a viewer, and I wonder if for the character of William too, if he wonders, 
if the thought has ever crossed his mind. Well, had you lived a better life, maybe you wouldn't be where you are now. Maybe you would have more time with your son. If you'd avoided certain things, maybe you wouldn't be sick right now. Maybe you'd have more time with your son and his family. And as I watch the show, I wonder, does William feel like he's being punished for his addiction, for giving up his son? Does he feel like his lot in life is what it is now because of the hard turns that he took? Does he feel like he brought this on himself? Our tendency as people is to follow that line of thought that when terrible things happen, and especially when they happen to us, it's a punishment or it's for something that we've done, we deserve it, we must have done something wrong to merit this kind of destruction or pain that's on our lives. And oftentimes we confuse consequence with punishment. We confuse natural events that follow a course of action with retribution for our sins, and they're different. And when evil impacts our reality and suffering touches our lives, we might wonder if God is punishing us. But hear Jesus when he says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. So why is there sin and evil in the world uh, to begin with? If God is all powerful, if God is all good, if God is all knowing, why does God allow for suffering that even some of us right now today are experiencing? If God is loving, why does he allow horrific things to happen? Why do children die from hunger all over the world? Why is there war that displaces people? Why is there so much injustice in the world? Why do our mothers suffer from cancer and our fathers from illness? Why did your parent have to lose their job? Why did your sister or brother have to die? Why did my friends betray me? Why did that relationship break? Why does your heart, your literal organ inside of your chest, feel like it's being squeezed? Why do these things happen? When we cry out to God in the midst of our suffering, hear the promise that God does hear you, that God invites you to bring the cries of your heart before him, that God even gives us words to use in our grief to give voice to it in the book of Psalms, especially the Psalms of Lament. Or even when you don't have any words, when all you have are groans, the Holy Spirit takes those groans and intercedes for us with groans that words can't express, sharing our pain with the Father and with the Son. So when you hurt because suffering or evil impacts your life, cry out to God. Let him know how you're feeling, how you're experiencing your reality. This is called lament. And followers of Jesus, people of God, have been practicing it for thousands of years. In our anguish, we often cry out, why? Why, God? But usually at that point, we're not looking for an existential explanation for why suffering happens. Usually we just want to know how God can allow this to happen. And there's suffering and there's evil in the world because of sin. We know this. In Genesis, we hear of how God created the world and created it good and created human beings to be the image bearers of God. And God gave us the freedom to respond in obedience to God. 
but our first parents uh, distrusted and disobeyed God, and then sin entered the world, and it persists even to today. Every generation of people, of human beings, have distrusted and disobeyed God. God created this world, and he made it good. He made us good, but we sin. We have sin, and sin affects everything. Adam and Eve's sin got them and their future descendants removed from the presence of God, which is their home, which is our home. And right away in the Genesis account, we hear of how they are already shifting blame. So when God asked them what they've done, oh, the, the woman you put here, she gave me the fruit, says Adam. No, 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 the serpent, the serpent deceived me, says Eve. So already they're withholding from each other and hiding, they're hiding from God. And then in their children and their children's children, it's jealousy and murder and deception and loss of home and broken relationships, broken hearts, litters their lives. But God doesn't forget them. God doesn't leave them. God doesn't throw them away. Our sin does keep us from God, from each other, from creation, and even from ourselves. Every direction of human relationships, so self to God, self to each other, self to creation, and even we don't have a right orientation to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. We have systemic racism in America, in our schools, in our churches, in our governments, in our neighborhoods, in our homes. The sin of racism is a 400-year-old demon that our country needs to learn to look at in the face and confess it and repent of it. Or the fact that we here on planet Earth grow enough food actually to feed all seven billion of us and yet people die of malnutrition or here in the U.S., one in five kids doesn't get the food that they need every day. And right now in the world, we have over 21 million refugees. Refugees, people who are displaced by war, or by strife, people who uh, needed to leave their country of origin because of oppression or strife or violence. The very ways that our world works, even the very best institutions, the best things are gifts like diversity and food and safety. It gets impacted by sin and causes harm to our neighbors and to ourselves. There's evil and there's suffering in the world because of sin. So when Jesus, in our passage, when he hears the conversation around him, he hears beneath their questions. He, he hears how the people are wondering, did they deserve it? Did they bring it on themselves? And Jesus' word of grace to them is this isn't about deserving it. This isn't about being a worse sinner than anybody else. Jesus tells them, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Jesus tells them the Galileans who died, the people that died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, no, they didn't have it coming their way any more than anybody else. No, they're not more sinful than any other person. No, but come and repent so that you won't perish. We have another person in the Bible who teaches us about <clears throat> suffering and relationship to God in the midst of it. And this is Job. <clears throat> Excuse me. And one of the deep and important lessons that the book of Job teaches us is that, one, we don't know the ways of God. We won't 
be able to understand uh, all or even part of what God is up to when things happen to us. And the second thing is that suffering does not have to mean punishment. After Job loses his children and loses his home, loses his livelihood, loses even his health, he has three friends who come to him, and even from afar off, they see him and they see how deep his grief is, and they, they tear their garments and they come to him and they weep. They sit with him in silence for seven days and seven nights, not saying a word. And really, it's when they start speaking that things start to go wrong, because then Job's friends tell him, like, Surely you must have sinned, because why would God bring this upon you if you hadn't? You need to repent, repent of your guilt so that this calamity can be taken off of you. And yes, Job had lost everything, and it sure did feel like punishment. But Job knew that he had been righteous before the Lord, so he knew that it wasn't a matter of sin that this was happening to him. But then that makes suffering all the more confusing, because you're like, why, God? I'm being obedient to you, I'm following you. And Jesus' words in our passage today echo those of Job, and that this isn't about righteousness or lack thereof, because we're all equally unrighteous. Jesus tells his listeners, these people, these people who died like this, who died tragically, they didn't suffer, and they didn't die this way because they were worse sinners than anybody else. And so Jesus dismisses the thought that suffering comes as punishment. He doesn't expound and he doesn't explain here what God is up to or not up to. But what he does do is call the people, call us to repentance. So what does suffering do but serve as a reminder to us to turn back to God, to turn back to Jesus, our Jesus who loves us? I don't know about you, but I, I need Jesus. And I feel how I need Jesus, even more so when I'm broken or when I'm suffering. When we experience the impact of evil on our lives, when we experience suffering, we will need to cry, we will need to mourn and weep. We need to grieve and we need to complain in the right direction, which is lament toward God who receives our lament and comforts us. And what we're given to do, what Jesus calls us to do, is to turn back to him, to remember his love for you, and to repent of our sin. And we remember this especially now in this season of Lent, as we journey with Jesus toward the cross. So back to This Is Us. This is the great show that you need to go watch if you haven't yet. Uh, This might be a teeny bit of a spoiler. Sorry, not sorry, but... (laughs) William, who is the elderly man who has just reconnected with his son after 36 years. Well, he moves in with his son, and he gets to know his two little granddaughters, and he gets to know his daughter-in-law, so he just loves his family, and they love him. But all the while, the cancer that's in his body is eating away at him, and he knows that his time is drawing to an end. So as he lays in the last bed that he'll ever lay in, and his son is at his side, these are the words that he says. My beautiful boy, my son, I haven't had a happy life, bad breaks, bad choices, life of almosts and could-haves. Some people would call it sad, but I don't. 
because the two best things in my life were the person in the very beginning and the person at the very end. And that's a pretty good thing to be able to say, I think. And his son agrees with him. We can look at William's life and think, geez, that was really bad luck. Or worse, it was his own mistakes that led him to a life like that. We can think, if only he had done better, he would have had 36 years with his son instead of just a few months. But to do that misses the point. William got to have a few sweet months with his son after his son had been raised for a lifetime by a loving family who formed him and nurtured him and made him who he is. We can see William spending the last few months of his life with his son and their family as tragic or unfortunate because of all of the could-haves, or we can see it as the gift that it was to both William and his son. Because when they were finally reunited, there, there wasn't any time wasted. They didn't mince words because they knew they didn't have a lot of time. And how much time do we waste with people we love? So when you experience suffering, when life takes unexpected and discombobulating turns, it can feel like, God, what's happening? What did I do? Why are you, why are you doing this to me? But in our passage today, Jesus' words challenge that notion that we have of why suffering comes. Suffering doesn't always follow as punishment. Suffering is not because you or me are worse than any, anybody else. Because again, the truth is we're all pretty messed up. And it's only the Holy Spirit inside of us that frees us from slavery to sin so that we become more and more like Jesus. And the truth is that we all deserve death. We all deserve separation from God because of our sin. Our sin has really messed things up. But God, who is good and magnificent and is doing a new thing, God is renewing and redeeming his creation. Like God is in process of drawing everything back to him that's been separated because of sin. And he's doing that through Jesus. In Jesus Christ, we have a God who knows what it's like to be human who knows what it's like to feel what we feel and to struggle with what we struggle with. Jesus knows our temptations. He knows that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. Jesus knows what it's like to weep at the graveside of someone he loves. Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry, to be homeless, to be laughed at, and to be ignored. He knows what it's like to suffer being marginalized or to be excluded. And Jesus also knows what it's like to have your heart swell with love and to laugh with your friends till you cry or to love your family. And Jesus knows what it's like to bleed, to be cut, humiliated and brutalized, tortured and killed. Jesus didn't run away from our suffering or the evil in the world. He came straight into it so that he could end it. And why did he do that? Because of love. I heard at church this morning our pastor say, um, he says this often, he says of, you are far worse, you're way worse off than you even are aware of, and you're far more loved, far more deeply loved than you could even imagine. And that's the gospel, part of the gospel. So Jesus' death on the cross as we journey through these 40 days of Lent to Holy Week 
Jesus' death was a terrible thing. It was an unjust execution. He was brutalized, he was tortured, he was killed. And he died. But even out of that really terrible evil of the crucifixion, God brought good out of it. God raised Jesus from the dead. So not even death, which is what sin and evil ultimately lead to, not even death can stop God's good plan for his people, for creation. And because Jesus is raised from the dead, we have hope. He was the first, so when you belong to him, you also will rise. He's our elder brother. He's our savior. So even though we die, even though our loved ones die, in Jesus we trust that they will rise again. So yes, there's a lot of evil and there's a lot of suffering and a lot of pain in the world. But sin and evil don't get the last word. Jesus does. So here are the words that he says about the end of all things, when all things are going to be made new. These are the words that he says in Revelation in chapter 21. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So remember, Jesus wins. Sin and evil don't. Come, Lord Jesus.